Hey friend, welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Cassandra Baker. Cassandra is on the show today sharing her story of disordered eating. She talks about her struggles with perfectionism, people-pleasing, and legalism. Join us to discover how she found freedom and victory from the bondage of these dysfunctional behaviors. We pray if you struggle in any or in all of these areas that you will learn to live free with authenticity and grace. Hello, Cassandra. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, Rachel. I'm excited to be here today. Thanks for having me. You are a certified life and health coach who helps women who are trapped in unhealthy habits. Would you share your story of disordered eating with us? Yes. So uh, outside looking in, my life looked pretty perfect growing up. I grew up in a Christian home. We're a close family. I have a younger sister. I did well in school, but underneath there was a perfect storm, a brewing, I say. So I started struggling with depression and anxiety probably in fifth and sixth grade. Of course, at that time, I didn't realize it, but looking back, I can see it. I also started dieting at a young age, junior high. And I also uh, have a type A personality. So, and along with the um, diet culture slash beauty culture that we live in, all those things came together. And in junior high, I developed binge eating disorder and struggled for that for almost two decades. And then in my 20s, I developed orthorexia, which is a new kind of eating disorder. Basically, it's an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. Mm. And... So I, um, well, let me introduce you to who I call Ed and the gang. So uh, Ed stands for my eating disorders and the gang, uh, they represent uh, the perfectionism, people pleasing, legalism, performance, striving. And Ed and the gang basically um, for two decades day in, day out, minute by minute at some points, just verbally, emotionally, and mentally just tormented me. And um, so I can, you know, say that my life was, was that it was difficult, but I'm a visual person. So let me give you a picture of what life was like living with Ed and the gang. Um, So imagine me laying uh, on a ground with a several ton rock on top of me. And uh, it's so big that it totally covers my body. It's airtight. There's no light that can get through. And that was what it was like, uh, sometimes worse than others of living with Ed and the gang. Uh, So it just really uh, affected every aspect of my life. And I became a, a believer at the age of four and you know, have followed Jesus my whole life, but for decades, I just really struggled because I didn't understand why if Jesus died on the cross to set me free, why wasn't I living free? And that was just really difficult. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of my, the beginning part of my story of kind of uh, what led me to do what I'm doing today. Well, so you actually mentioned perfectionism. So I'd like you to expand on this a little bit. So how did perfectionism lend itself to compounding your disordered eating? 
Well, perfectionism is actually not uncommon for those who struggle with food issues and have a type A personality to struggle with. Right. And so it really cultivated an all or nothing mindset for me. And it really came, um, it lent itself to the extremes. So for me, it was, you know, the mindset, like, I'm going to follow this diet perfectly. And then I wouldn't be able to, or I wouldn't I'd be able to for a certain amount of time, but not continue on. And then I'd be like, well, I can't do it perfectly. So why do it at all? And then I would uh, turn to food to try to soothe and to cope. But it was interesting because um, as I went through my eating disorder recovery um, in the last decade, I realized that di- the way that diets are set up, there's no way to do them perfectly because what happens is when your body goes on a diet, uh, you're putting your body into oftentimes semi-starvation. And so when you're in semi-starvation mode or starvation mode at all, your cave brain, let's, you know, the part that keeps you alive, right? Your organs running, you breathing, goes into crisis mode and is in hyper alert, just trying to keep you alive. And um, then what happens is it leads to deprivation and your, your, your body is physically starving. And so it actually leads to binging. So I recently heard someone describe it as if you took a really deep breath and then held your breath for a really long time, as long as you could, and then, it, and then uh, decided to breathe again, your first breath is not going to just be like a small breath, right? A regular breath. You're going to be like inhaling and sucking in and exhaling like big, deep breaths. And that's basically is what's happening with your body with uh, diets. And um, because your body is starving, your body doesn't know the difference between a diet and a famine, a lack of food. And Mm. so your body actually responding. And so what was happening was, is I was, you know, not getting enough energy for my growing body on these diets. And so therefore I would turn to, to binging, um, because I was starving and my body was saying, you need to store this food, uh, in case you don't have it again. And so, um, I, you know, had no idea that the very thing that was, you know, I thought was going to save me was actually perpetuating me deeper into the, um, into the hole. And so it was just really freeing because, you know, most people today know that diets don't work. I think it's a very well accepted stat that 95% of diets fail, um, within the first three years, people will oftentimes gain the weight back and it's not uncommon for them to gain even more back. And then past the three to five year mark, this, the statistic goes even up to like maybe even 98% of people. And so, and then what happens is people get on this diet cycle and they're gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, which is actually even more detrimental to your health that weight gain and weight loss than if you had just kept the weight in initially. And so um, it was, yeah, like perfectionism cultivated, you know, this all or nothing mindset with the dieting and then the dieting with its issues, you know, just perpetuated. And then on top of that, you know, people would praise me when I would lose weight. And so it just um, became a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hate to say it, but I've been in that vicious cycle 
uh, as well. And something you also talk about is legalism. So talk a minute about that and, and, and how has this been a struggle for you as well? So I have a unique family heritage. My dad grew up old order Amish for, I think he was 11 when they got their first car. Uh, my family is no longer old order Amish. Um, but, and then I also went to um, a conservative Christian university. So I kind of grew up in, which again was the Christian university was good, but it tended, uh, it would tend to have an air towards uh, rule following and legalism. And then again, my personality, I'm a rule follower. Like I'm going to, um, I'm not going to speed, you know, I'm going to follow the rules. <laughs> uh, I like boundaries. And so um, that, you know, kind of cultivated it. And, you know, I recently have been reading through some of my prayer journals that I had as a teen. And I realized so often that it was like, I would write to the Lord and tell him that, um, you know, I loved him and everything. And then the next entry would be like maybe a couple weeks later and be like, I've just really fallen off the bandwagon and I need to get back on track in order to be able to like, to be in relationship with you again. And so it was very much workspace, even though in my head, I knew that salvation is by faith and grace. But, you know, I wanted to be that good Christian girl uh, that would make God happy. And so, um, it just uh, cultivated itself. And then shame, you know, when I couldn't follow all the rules would spiral me down and I would feel so guilty and bad and, um, you know, would, would turn to food in order to try to, to, uh, to numb or whatever. And so the change really came for me um, when I was able to actually experience the truth of the gospel and not just know about it. So Okay, so there's one thing to say, like, I know about something, and another to say, I've experienced it. And so Timothy Keller has really helped me um, in this area, well, in a lot of different areas, um, and has been a pivotal part of my recovery. But, but basically, what has helped me is, like, for example, is actually imagining and picturing Jesus on the cross. And so when I am really struggling with these lies, what I do is I write out like what legalism is telling me to do. So I write out the lie and then I counter it with what Jesus's response is. And the gospel is the solution to all that. Right. And so I, I have written out in this letter for, of Jesus to me that says, you know, when I was in the garden of Gethsemane, I was in so much pain. I knew what was ahead of me. But in that moment, I thought about Cassandra. I thought about you. And I realized that the only way for me to be able to spend eternity with you was for me to go ahead and go to the cross. And, and as much anguish as I was in, having you was the joy that was set before me. And I love you so much. And so I, as he was walking on the, to the cross, as he was being nailed and hanging there for hours, I was what kept him on the cross, his love for me. And when I actually imagined how, and was able to picture how my own sins, my own shortcomings put him up there, that great love 
changed me. I experienced it. I didn't know just about it. And so now I, when I mess up, I don't have to wait to get my stuff together to go to him. I can go to him as I am and realize that it's what he did on the cross that saves me. That is my righteousness. And that has just changed everything. Mm -hmm. Um, to be able to experience that love. And when, when I'm, you know, struggling with obedience that I don't, I'm not obedient out of a means of like trying to like earn his favor. I already have it. And it's, it's a, uh, he loved me so much. Like imagining him on the cross, having to pay the price of physical consequences of my sins, that love, I want to be obedient because of how much he loved me. And that really changed everything. And, um, it's, it's just something that I have to continually tell my, myself the gospel over and over again. Mm, Yeah, me too. Gosh, we have so much in common. And I didn't, as I was coming up with these questions, I didn't quite realize your answers, but as you continue to share your heart, I realize how much we do have in common. And, you know, you're one of the things that you also are authentic to say is that you have a tendency to be a people pleaser. So where do you think that this, I guess, stemmed from for you? Yeah. So being real and authentic is especially important to me because for so much of my life, I wore this mask and very few people, sometimes even my family, weren't able to see underneath that. And so that's why I share my story. But as far as people pleasing, uh, again, it goes back to, I think, my personality type. Um, I like to just in general, that's part of my personality, make people happy. But I, in um, school and in college, I did well and received praise for my performance. And I liked that. So I wanted, you know, to continue to earn that. And then also another aspect of that was I've, when I would lose weight, I would receive so much praise, right? And so that would make me feel good. And And then I also, um, when I would gain weight, then I would hear the deafening silence of people not reassuring me and telling me that I was, you know, that I looked nice or whatever. And I actually had people in my life who verbally shamed me and would, um, in front of other people, would talk about my weight. And so I know how devastating and (laughs) traumatic, terrifying that is. And so... (laughs) Basically, you know, people pleasing became this dysfunctional behavior as a means of coping with all the lies that Ed, you know, was telling me, you know, Ed was saying, you know, see, you are valuable when you are smaller, and then people would praise me more. And so their praise would only validate Ed's mm-hmm. lies to me. And, you know, it became my identity, like I'm worth something because people think I do a good job and because I do well. So recently I uh, came across a verse, Proverbs 29, 25. Um, This is the message version, but it says the fear of human opinion disables and trusting in God protects you from that. Mm -hmm. And it's just been um, just really a good reminder, you know, because it's, I'm so thankful to be where I'm at today, but it's hard for me to you know, come on this podcast and to be, to share those things that 
no one knew about me, you know, before. And now I'm putting my story out there and being vulnerable. And what are people going to say or whatever? But the, the problem is, or the situation, it's not a problem, is that Jesus has called me to do this, to share my story. So it doesn't matter what people say. And if I worry and think about what everyone is going to say about um, about me, that that will, that does paralyze me. But when I really think about, okay, I, I'm called to be obedient and to do this. So I have to trust that no matter what the response, whether good or bad, that it's about my obedience to Christ and honoring and worshiping him and not about what the response is to my story, what people think one way or another. Mm, Amen to that. Well, ever since college, it was your dream to help women with dysfunctional behaviors that you yourself wrestled with. But you say that you were never in a place where you could help them because you needed help yourself. So would you talk for a moment about how you first found the help that you needed? So as a teen, I was never um, really suicidal or had plans as far as taking my own life. But there are more times than I could ever begin to count the number of times that I prayed that Jesus would just take me and that I wouldn't have to keep on living. And um, so at one point as a teen, and I wish I could remember specifically when this was, but I, I just know that there was a point that I, I made the commitment to the Lord that no matter how hard or terrible life got, that I would never give up fighting for freedom. Mm. And um, that was crucial because, you know, I suffered for almost 20 years um, under that rock. And so that's a long time to have to keep fighting when you're being crushed. And so I think that that was really, that was key um, because when I would just be at rock bottom again and I just wouldn't want to keep going, I would just remember you made that commitment to never stop uh, fighting. And, you know, even if that meant that I would die in my eighties fighting for freedom that I would die fighting for my freedom because the only way to truly fail is to give up. Um, Mm. And so um, I would not have been able to be where I was today had I given up at one point. And so um, I also, you know, as I mentioned earlier, was really frustrated that I wasn't experiencing uh, the freedom the Bible talked about. And so I definitely had some anger um, about that and at God, but I never walked away from him. And um, which is just truly uh, the grace of God. And so in 2011, I uh, started this Bible study by Terry Wardle. It was a 16 week, very intensive Bible study that um, shared what uh, Terry Wardle calls the structure of healing. And this revolutionized my life because I knew my life situation was trapped underneath this rock but I didn't understand why and what was causing what. And, and I don't also have any, um, some of like the big traumas that people think about sometimes. And, and so looking back, I'm, you know, so often be like, my life looks good. I don't understand why I just want to die. And um, so, but in this structure of healing, he talks about how our wounds, things that happen to us lead to lies that we believe. 
And when I believe that I'm a repulsive and unlovable and disgusting and a terrible person, that does not feel good. <laughs> that yeah, is very yeah. agonizing, right? And so it creates these emotions that we just are like, I don't want to deal with. And for me, I didn't know how to deal with them. I never really learned how to process emotions in a healthy way. And so then in order to cope with these emotions, we turn to these dysfunctional behaviors. And so that's where Ed and the gang come in. They were the dysfunctional behaviors to the responses, ultimately, to these deep wounds and lies that I um, have experienced in my past. And so then after that, I uh, got into counseling and we really started working on some of those deep wounds. Um, Andy Colbert uh, wrote a book called Try Softer, which I highly recommend. And in it, she talks about how we know about the big traumas, right? You know, veterans coming back from war or a major car accident, a loss, abuse. But what we don't often recognize are what she calls the little T traumas. So those are the things that are like a paper cut that happened to us, right? In and of themselves, they're not like super destructive. You know, one is not going to send you over the edge, but a thousand paper cuts is yeah. eventually going to cause infection and cause problems. And so I had little T trauma and I, you know, was so thankful for my counselor. She is such a huge part of my recovery journey. She's now one of my mentors and I owe a lot to her for, um, she just has, has heard the ugliest, messiest parts of me and I was always safe with her. And so that's really, she cultivated that in me and that's important, you know, for me now as I work with my clients. But it was interesting because as I was going through these deep wounds, which of course was hard as you, as you bring up the stuff that you've been trying to push down, right, for years, um, that's when the uh, eating disorder morphed into the orthorexia. So let me talk a little bit about that. I was a clean eater. So it started out with just eating um, less processed foods, a little healthier. And then eventually I started losing weight that I never lost before. And then I was of course getting all this praise that I'd really never lost or that I'd never gotten before. And it just totally fueled the fire. Um, I got into obsessive compulsive exercise. Uh, there was restricting um, of amounts of food as well as actual food groups. I had this list <laughs> that I was uh, foods that I was allowed to eat, which was pretty much anything. There was nothing processed on it, which yeah. led to me being um, forced to spend hours and hours in my kitchen prep cooking uh, food. I would take my food to events. I would not go to events because I wouldn't be able to eat the food. And so, you know, people are like, I don't get it. How is healthy eating and then, you know, an unhealthy, how can there be an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating? Right. But what happens is it becomes an obsession and it totally consumes your mind. And there can actually be um, some really negative physical side effects, not to mention the mental and emotional. And I experienced both. Um, so uh, I don't think I would have been able to just walk away from the orthorexia. So God in his great mercy, because I loved the attention so much. Um, it's embarrassing for me to admit, but 
I was treated differently by certain people. And um, I just, I liked the way that my body felt at a, at a smaller size. And so it was definitely a pride and an idol. So the Lord in his great mercy, um, July 1st of 2014, allowed for me to experience the first of four traumatic uh, brain injuries. The first one was the worst, and um, it really, uh, I actually don't have memory of the incident. I have post-traumatic amnesia um, of the actual accident and well into the, um, I don't remember the two ER, they had to transport me to the, uh, the Columbus uh, it, uh, ER, and so I don't even have memory of it, but the next day they discharged me. They said, come back in a week. We'll take out the head loss, uh, the staples. I had a head laceration. And then you can go back to life as normal. But my life has never gone back to normal. And then because of the previous major traumatic brain injury, the subsequent other three were a bigger deal because of the, already the injured injury that I had sustained. And so the Lord literally had to knock me off my feet <laughs> and take away my ability to be able to do these extreme behaviors. I mean, I suffered from 10 to 15 symptoms on a regular basis. Uh, some of the worst, including migraines and vertigo, as well as a lot of eye strain. I have previous eye disorders that uh, came together to create just an, another perfect storm. And so I no longer was able to spend the eight to 10 hours in the kitchen, right? I mean, I could barely make it to work and back. And, and so as a result of the traumatic brain injuries, I no longer could do those extreme behaviors. I could barely make it to work, let alone being able to do the uh, obsessive exercise, the intense exercise and the length of time for it. And so I thought because I had lost the weight and gotten into a smaller size that I was finally healthy. But the problem was, is that it took extreme eating disorder behaviors for me to be that size. And someone looking at me like I was within, you know, a normal healthy range, they were never looking at me think eating disorder and people were praising me for it. And so um, not being able to do that, Ed kind of had a panic attack. He was like, what in the world are we going to do if we can't do all these behaviors, which really showed me that I needed help. And so I came across intuitive eating and uh, tried to do it on my own. Well, intuitive eating, when you're coming from an eating disorder is like jumping off a cliff without a parachute. And so mm -hmm. Once I tried it, I just realized like, I'm going to need some help here. I'm not gonna be able to do it on my own. And so I was at that time able to work with a dietitian who specialized in eating disorders. And interestingly enough, because I had done the work with the counselor and dealt with the little T traumas and the wounds underneath, I was able to address the behaviors much more quickly and wasn't continually triggered because I had found God had brought healing into my life at those deep wound places. And so, but it really took a multidisciplinary team of my dietitian counselor and my family doctor who finally diagnosed me after almost 20 years of seeing her because I just didn't tell her and she didn't ask. And so, um, 
recovery from the eating disorder was by far the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. And the recovery from the uh, traumatic brain injuries, the TBIs, that was uh, very difficult too. But if you, if I had to go back and had to go through one of those recoveries again, I would pick the TBI every time because, you know, it was very painful, worst pain, physical pain of my life for sure for multiple years, four or five years at a time. And then I was going through the eating disorder recovery at the same time. I call those my years of pain. <laughs> and, um, but they happened to me. They weren't something that I did. There, there wasn't shame attached to it because the eating disorder, every minute of every day sometimes was just telling me what a worthless piece of human I was, right? And so um, that goes to the very core of that was, you know, what I built my identity on. And so that was so hard. Um, but, you know, those years of pain have really taught me how to suffer and to deal with pain because I didn't know how to before. And they gave me the tools that now as I move on in life and things come up, people hurt me, dramatic things happen. I have the tools now to be able to respond and to deal with the pain rather than to push it down like I did for so many years, which then of course just built and built and built and caused more problems. Well, so for the woman listening today, that's just really resonating with your story that maybe has one or more of these dysfunctional behaviors. How would you suggest that she begin to live free from her bondage as you have? Yeah. So it's important to note, like everyone's story is going to be different. So everyone's recovery and what that looks like is different. But one thing that is, I would say pretty uh, across the board is that to make a commitment to never give up fighting for freedom. Because if you do choose to not keep fighting, then you will fail and you won't ever make progress. So that's really important. And ultimately, God knows what you need when you need it. Now, I thought I needed that help, you know, like years before he brought that. So I, I'm sure I don't even have a full understanding of why it took so long. You know, Joseph in the Bible, was years and years and years that he just went through hardship um, before he kind of understood why. And some people might never know. But the other thing that I think is important is the importance of reaching out for help. So shame tells us that we're the only ones and we will um, be judged and looked down on if we reach out for help. And to a certain extent, I've had clients that I've worked with and I've had this experience myself where I have reached out for help and it has gone really wrong. The people created more harm than they did for helping. But I can think of a, a previous client that I have who she had reached out and with medical professionals had actually only perpetuated it rather than helped the issue. And so it took her a while to reach up, to get up the courage to, to reach out again but she did. And so that's where, you know, not giving up is so important. Don't give up finding the person that's right for you. Not everyone is a good fit for everyone. And so find that person that's a good fit for you and don't give up until you find that person. Or a lot of times it's a group of people. I had friends that were part of my recovery team. And so to be honest, I just thought that I had to do it on my own. 
But the reality is God created us for community. And so most of the time we are going to need other people in order to, to help us uh, to do that. Well, so you actually also have a blog and it's called Authenticity and Grace. And you say it's a place to exhale. What role does grace have in this whole process? Yeah, so everything for me, honestly, because experiencing the grace of, of what Jesus did on the cross is why I'm able to live free. And, you know, that's that's why authenticity, my, you know, my ministry is authenticity and grace is because I tried for so many years to strive and to earn and to perform, but grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. And if I'm trying to earn it, then I'm missing out on the whole point of it. Then I can't really receive it because it's a gift. I can't earn it. And, um, and I'm able to now also offer myself grace that I, I never have before. And so this is what I spend a lot of time working with my own clients on because we as women are really good about offering grace to other people. But when it comes to ourselves, we are so harsh on ourselves. So I call this being kind to Cass um, or being kind to whatever your name is, BKTK. And so, you know, when someone is struggling, you know, I just really ask them, what can you do to to offer yourself grace or to be kind, to care for yourself in the way that you would care for a friend or encourage a friend? Because we just don't know as women so often how to do that for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this season I am asking my guests who has loved them well. So Cassandra, who has loved you well and how have they loved you well? Uh, So for me, that's my husband, Kevin. You know, we were married uh, many years before I uh, went into recovery. And so there was a lot of years living under Ed and the gang, and I was not an easy person to live with. He was one of the few people, if maybe the only person at times, that saw me without my mask and the ugliness. And my dysfunctional behaviors and habits were hard on our marriage and on my husband. But I am so blessed. He's one of God's greatest gifts to me. He never wavered or even gave me the sense that he didn't love me or was going to leave me or abandon me. And he just loved me through my messiness um, and supported me as a person um, by making financial sacrifices for me to go through recovery because uh, insurance oftentimes doesn't pay for eating disorder recovery and it can be costly. And I just know that I wouldn't be where I'm at today without Kevin. And he was really, he's one of the only people that I've never felt judged, uh, loved more or less um, because of my size. I just have always felt, and, and that again is a gift that he's given me, that God has given, that God has given me him. And I am so thankful because I just know uh, that that is not necessarily always the case when women are trying to recover from this. 
and are married. So I feel so special. And then um, as I was going through recovery and I was really excited to be able to, because, you know, I'd had that dream in college, but I was crushed. So how was I going to help other people? But as I went through recovery, that dream and that passion really started growing again. And I had been working since college at pregnancy resource centers. And so um, up through 2018, the um, 2015 to 2018, I was the executive director of a, our local pregnancy center. And Kevin supported me to, to go back to school, to get my certification as a coach and uh, to become a speaker and to start my um, ministry, Authenticity and Grace. And so he's allowing me now to, with his support and love, to be able to live in a, a lifelong dream. So I'm forever grateful to him. Mm, yeah. Well, so, you know, as the listeners have heard your story and if they need further encouragement from you or just want some of your resources, how, how can they best stay in contact with you? So they can find me online at CassandraBaker.com and I spell Cassandra with a K. And then on Facebook and Instagram, you can find me at Authenticity and Grace. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today and for taking off your mask and being so transparent with us and just for encouraging us to live free with authenticity and grace. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with Cassandra. It was eye-opening to me, and I didn't realize how much I deal with some of these same exact issues, but I hope that you were able to realize how to find freedom and victory from the bondage of these dysfunctional behaviors as I have, and that you are able to learn to live free with authenticity and grace. If you're interested in the show notes from today's episode, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or on Facebook, or you can have them sent directly to your inbox each week by going to rachelkadams.com to receive my weekly love offering. Next week, my guest is Angie Gibbons. Angie and I discuss how to bravely move past our fear, anxiety, and overwhelm to realize the peace and love that God intends for us. But until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.